I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of 12 Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12 and the best business phone services chosen by U.S. News, World Report, and our friends in Eugene who just knocked off Ohio State. Am I right? Am I right? Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 country stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business and get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more, all for the fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit Nextiva.com slash 12 pack to get started next slash 12 pack to get started for 12 pack radio get excited y'all Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Beta-Rank College Football Statistical Model, and your home for Pac-12 gambling advice. With William Hills, Max Meyer, this is Brian Conger, and we are recording this again. We had a live from Columbus episode. It was the best episode we ever recorded. It was glorious. All of our picks were perfect. <laughs> you know, Rob sang. I, I didn't know if you guys knew this, but uh, but he's a tenor. Rob's a tenor. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I am definitely not a tenor. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, uh, our apologies for the late podcast. We did record live, and um, uh, Rob and I went to the Ohio State Oregon game, and we had some sound issues. But Rob, we are back and ready to rock. What's going on? Oh, I'm excited. I am excited to do this. Yeah. So um, we should start by our trip to Columbus. And I just want to give a special <laughs> shout out. <laughs> Rob is dying. Rob, Rob has COVID. Sorry. I thought I actually thought I was cutting my mic there. Apologies. Oh, no problem. Um, so uh, a special shout out to our friends at the Horseshoe. We had a, a couple in front of us that was qu- quite nice. They were holding up this uh, row 11 sign as a good luck charm, um, kissing it, which I don't know if that was the best health health decision to make, but um, it struck me as uh, as the best thing I've I'd seen at the game outside of Oregon's awesome performance, Rob. Uh, what did you think about Oregon's, you know, just... I wouldn't say manhandling. That's not true because the, the game did get close and Ohio State certainly had an opportunity to take that that game home at the end. But um, Oregon was able just to be physical. And this is just one of the most impressive wins I, I saw. And it was really fun to watch it at the shoe. Yeah, I mean, I I think you have to take away that, you know, there, there are two things, one of which is Oregon absolutely showed up um, and and really put on quite an offensive performance. I mean, I, I think Anthony Brown, um, you know, hit the big passes when he needed to, um, you know, and he, we certainly saw him as, you know, why he's in there and why, uh, you know, they turned to him very late last season. You know, he just understands the offense and makes the right read. But I mean, I think the biggest takeaway here is Oregon's offensive line just pushed around the Buckeyes. <laughs> yeah, they did. Um, uh, you know, and, you know, Verdell, um, you know, he, he averaged 8.1 Brown sprinkled in some running of his own and, and picked up, you know, 65 yards himself. 
Travis Dye was no slouch picking up 43. Everybody averaged at least 5.4 a carry. <laughs> and, um, you know, that I think is, is really remarkable. Uh, Ohio State came in, I think, ranked 126 and some data I saw on their ability to stuff runs, on ability to stuff designed runs. Um, Oregon had a lot to do with that. I thought, you know, uh, Moorhead had a really good game plan and, and called a really good game too. Um, and then on the flip side, right, I mean, they were, you know, Ohio State's offense was going to get theirs, right? Like they definitely played pretty well. What Oregon did really well, I thought, was gang tackle. I mean, they really went to the football um, and without flow and Thibodeau, I thought they were still able. I mean, I, we did talk about, you know, in the middle of the game, they they were not generating a ton of pressure on Stroud. Um, but what they did do really well is, is uh, you know, contain Ohio State's running game. Um, I mean, Stroud threw for a ton of yards, 484, averaging, you know, nine per attempt. But, you know, the Ohio State's a run first team and, and Oregon, you know, was able to really without, you know, I mean, they still definitely gave up some yards, but they were able to, to, to slow them down rushing the football and without necessarily, you know, giving everything away against the pass. I thought the game went differently from what I had, would have anticipated uh, had somebody told me Oregon would have won this game a week ago, right? Yeah. I think if somebody said Oregon went into the shoe and beat Ohio State, I would have thought Anthony Brown might have hit a couple explosive you know, plays. Um, and I would have thought that Oregon would have kind of held on, right? I, I, I assumed that Ohio state was going to be able to run the ball and it was going to be through the air where Oregon really pushed back and was just able to hold the line. And it was different. I mean, I I think that, like you mentioned, the offensive line was great. One of the things that I had mentioned last week on the show was, you know, I, I thought that the running back for Minnesota is better than the running backs at Oregon. I still think that's the case. Um, I mean, Verdell had himself just a monster game. There was a number of those runs where he just boop went like went right through <laughs> a number of wide open holes, uh, yeah. and often on the edge. I think that was the thing that was really interesting. Was I think three of those touchdowns right came off of the edge, and yep. um, and they were a similar play call. And Moorhead just understood and went back to what he needed to do. And the fact that uh, Oregon was so dominant on the ground against a monster front seven for Ohio state. And the fact that they were also be able, they were able to reciprocate that on the defensive side and really take care of an awesome running game. My goodness. If you project that into the PAC 12, I don't know if there's going to be another team that's as talented as Ohio state at running the football and having those big guys up front. Nobody else yeah. recruits that way outside of uh, maybe Washington. And we've saw what their offensive and defensive lines will get there later. But I just think Oregon's going to, I mean, there's a scenario where they're, they drop a game or drop two games perhaps, but I mean, they just really showed where their strengths were as a team. And that was really fun to see. Cause this was a huge one for the PAC 12. Yeah. And, Really, too. I mean, we talk about that no one recruits like Ohio State on the offensive line, and and that's true. I mean, in the Pac-12, other than maybe Oregon, um, but you know, Wyatt Davis would certainly start on on I, I would think any team in the Pac-12. He's you know uh, Ohio State, one of Ohio State's offensive linemen. But you, Oregon's not going to see anybody that is going to have a wide receiving core, <laughs> and and of course, and, and maybe even I think you could really argue it's a little bit of a down year. And it's maybe been a down two-year cycle for QBs in the Pac-12. You're not going to see anybody like C.J. Stroud and these wide receivers again, you know, in in, in you know in Pac-12 play. 
And that, I think if you're Oregon bodes really well, well, I mean, what, what, what the, one of the things we talked about last year, I mean, if you remember that UCLA game and, and Oregon's real vulnerability all season was they struggled in their run fit defensively. They were a lot better in this game with that. Um, and then to your point too, like they, Ohio state could not set the edge against this Oregon offense, whether it was same side runs or misdirection and design, um, you know, Oregon was able to get out there and get numbers at the point of attack and often made big gains outside the tackles. And also being there live, first of all, terrible food, terrible food, awful, awful, like just <laughs> I mean, really disorganized. What we had to go to... <laughs> It was, it was like it was like a, an East German grocery store. Like nothing, <laughs> nothing was open. Nothing was available. You had to walk out. You had to walk twenty miles in the snow to find some water. There's like one person taking orders, like for an entire <laughs> yeah. section. It was just so stupid. Um, but one of the things that I thought was fascinating was we were we were chatting with some of the fans around us. There's a lot of Buckeye fans, and I think a couple times somebody said, "Look at that. This is a Pac-12." you know, offensive line. I can't believe we can't do anything. Get the, and, and we had a multiple times say like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like they Oregon recruits at a level, you know, topped only by Ohio state, Alabama and Clemson. I mean, uh, on, on most good days. I mean, there's some other major programs that recruit at the same level, but it, it just reminded me that a lot of the teams um, and a lot of the conferences from across the country just have no idea about some of the talent. I mean, like, and look, it's easy to throw stones at the Pac-12. There's a lot of teams that don't recruit at this level um, and a lot of teams that don't put the same resources and commitment into the football program. But um, the fact that people didn't realize that, I mean, Oregon certainly showed them <laughs> this past week on national television. Yeah. I think seven and a half million people tuned into that game. My goodness, like what uh, what a great, great boost for the conference. And I don't think you can blame people necessarily, right? I mean, even oh, yeah. Oregon, as they've recruited, you know, really well these past couple seasons, they haven't necessarily delivered quite on the field. And, uh, you know, whether it's the, an unexpected loss here or there. Um, and, and USC, the other sort of real, you know, top 10 recruiter in the Pac-12 certainly hasn't delivered with on the field results either. So uh, I think the Pac-12 has a bit of a reputation as being a little bit soft up front. Um, and, I, you know, Oregon, Oregon got out there and I think changed the minds in this game. And it's, I mean, we talked about this, you know, I think as we were going back from the stadium, maybe it was when we were digging up my pocket knife, which we had to bury because I forgot that I had it in my pocket. Um, but we uh, were talking about that. We were going to have to cover a playoff contender, you know, really for the, and uh, I don't, I don't think we'd started the podcast back when Washington made the playoff, but we're going to have to cover a play. I mean, a real, you know, late into the season playoff contender in the pack 12. I mean, Oregon's going to have this win in their back pocket. I think even if they drop a game, you know, potentially along the way, they're still going to have a win over likely big 10 champion, Ohio state. Um, that's It's, it's going to be tough unless Oregon just gets the doors blown off them or has a really, really bad loss. Uh, it's going to be tough for, you know, the, the committee to put the Buckeyes in ahead of the ducks. Um, it definitely gives them a, you know, the PAC 12, a chip, um, you know, to, to, to potentially put a, you know, a team in the playoff for the first time in a while. Yeah, no, it, I'm really excited about the opportunity to, to talk about that. It's a really good exposure. I, I do want to give two more shout outs to Oregon because I thought that, a couple of the quiet keys to the game. Uh, well, one of them more quiet than the other. I thought the secondary. Now, if you take a look at the box score, right? 
484 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick from C.J. Shroud. That last pick kind of being a desperation-ish throw. It wasn't like, you know, but it was also the pressure that, that got put on him. But I thought the secondary of Oregon in that first, in those first three, maybe two and a half quarters, the way that they were able to hold the line against one of the most explosive wide receiving cores in the country was really impressive. And uh, I know that Oregon did a lot of other stuff, but I just don't want to overlook the fact that the secondary did exactly what it needed to do to win the game. Um, you know, of course they did, they gave up 28 yards and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, those yards came towards the end of the game. Um, and they were really able to give Oregon enough of a boost to be in control for the most. There was about a four minute period of that game where you're like, Oh man, this might actually get a little weird. But um, yeah. outside of that, I thought the secondary d- did what they needed to do to really give Oregon that confidence so that they can plan around their game rather than kind of react to what Oregon state was doing. And then second, Anthony Brown. Look, yeah. if you look at his box score, 17 for 35, you know, less than 250 yards, but just when you needed him, um, he delivered and he did not throw a pick. And yep. if we had um, the the guy that's over uh, at Texas Tech now, uh, Tyler Shuck, if he was the quarterback in this game, Oregon loses. They made the right yeah. decision oh, yeah. with this quarterback. He makes good decisions. I'm sure he'll throw some picks throughout the year. But like the fact that under that type of pressure with 100,000 people screaming down his neck, he didn't throw a pick and like was just a baller and third down, third and long. <laughs> like, holy goodness. I, that's uh, that's exactly that's exactly what he needed to do um, in this game. And I thought he was going to need to do more. And that's a testament to the whole team in terms of their ability to win this game. Yeah. I mean, I think the point you made about the secondary is really good because if you look, if you just box, you know, just take a look at the box score, it looks like they got torched, but they had almost no pressure on Stroud most of that game. Yeah. Um, and so that's, you know, Thibodeau being out. Absolutely. But the other part is Ohio state just has an excellent offensive line in their own right. Um, and, uh, I mean, outside of Oregon, there's nobody even close to Ohio state in the pac 12 offensive line wise. So if you're, you know, if you're a fan of another team in the pac 12 and you're coming away for thinking this, like, oh yeah, we can throw on the ducks. Like it's not likely to work that way. Right. Like, Hey, you don't have Ohio state's wide receivers. B you don't have Ohio state's offensive line. Right. Like the ducks are going to be able, even if Thibodeau's out for a longer bit of, you know, longer period, they're going to be able to get pressure on a lot of pac 12 teams. Um, and I, you know, I just, I don't, I think, you know, to, to be able to, to limit them enough, limit what Ohio state was doing enough to where you could force them in, you know, they, the Oregon found a way to get off the field pretty often. Um, and that mattered a lot in this game. And then for Brown, I mean, like he had some stretches. I mean, he, he, he made the right read. I mean, Ohio state did a lot of single high safety in this game. Um, so there were some, you know, uh, there were some one-on-ones available and it's the right read to make that throw instead of just dumping down to something underneath that was double covered. But I mean, Brown's downfield inaccuracy showed there if he hits one of those, but if he hit one of those and you know, (laughs) he he took like four of them and and some of them ended up being drive killers, you know, like it was third down and then they take a long shot, but he hits one of them and it's a totally different story. Like Anthony Brown is the story coming out of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think on some of those, like he's, he's going to hit a couple of those over the season too. Oh yeah. And I think, I think teams will dare him to, and that's the yeah. right thing to do, particularly if their offensive line is going to be this good at shoving people around and getting them yards. I mean, it just, again, like Verdell, awesome game. Um, 
some of those runs, it was like, holy goodness, man, that, that, like, if that was flag football, he still would have made it, made it to, uh, about where he ended up being tackled at. So, um, which is great. I mean, that's, that's what you want. I'd rather have an awesome offensive line and not know exactly how good my running back is, uh, just because they're so dominant. So anyway, a big win for Oregon, Rob, let's move on from that game to uh, another game that was uh, a pretty good showing for a PAC 12 team. Let's talk about TCU 34 Cal 32. Um, the, the big bummer here was the fact that Cal went out to another lead and ended up dropping it. But I, I was excited that Garbers was able to to throw down the field, right? He averaged about 11 yards a pass. Totally different from, I think, the, the box score that we saw against Nevada, where it was like six yards or whatever. And um, I, I thought that there was some overreaction to Cal. I ended up taking the points. I think it was 11 and a half. I thought that line got a bit out of control. Um, and I thought there, even with a loss there were some really interesting pieces here for Cal and I'm still kind of bullish about them going into conference season. Yeah. I mean, if you're a Cal fan, like there's some definite real positive takeaways about the offense here. Right. I mean, we, I mean, TCU is going to have a good defense this season. So for Cal to be able to go out and Garbers to be able to throw for 300 yards and and really take some shots downfield and average, you know, 11.4 per attempt, that's pretty darn good <laughs> against TCU. Um, you know, and I think that speaks well to, uh, you know, what the TC, what the Cal offensive line was, you know, able to do too. And we've certainly had some questions. I, I don't love their new offensive line hire, you know, coach hire. Um, but they did, I mean, they did real. I mean, now they did hit also, I mean, there's some real big plays hiding in there, right? Like, uh, Clark for Cal receiving had two catches for 122. Yeah, but that's the point, <laughs> yeah. right? That's kind of what right. we wanted. I mean, Crawford, I mean, Crawford got one for 49. I mean, the fact that you have so many big plays sitting in there, I mean, I think that, I mean, in TCU's no slouch, like we said, like TCU's yeah. no slouch defensively. Um, but if you're going to flip it though, like what, you know, where you would say like, oh no, like I suddenly don't see, you know, like in your head, you're like Cal suddenly the dark horse for second place in the North, you know, um, maybe you get lucky and you could, you know, like knock off Oregon or something, man, the defense looked totally vulnerable in a totally different way. Like last week, Nevada could throw all over him this week. TCU just ran him over. Yeah. That, and that was why we didn't want to take Cal straight up. Right. Because that we've for a number of years, that's been the weakness of the Cal defense was, you know, how are you going to stop stuff up even up the middle? That was like the big thing. And 234 right. yards on the ground from TCU. Uh, Max Duggan had 71 of those, and we thought that he would be a problem on that front. He was also able to throw the ball three touchdowns, you know, 284 yards, but was still able to, to get into the end zone a number of times there. Um, I do think Cal left a little bit of money on the table. I have to go back and look at my, my notes. Uh, I think they were stuffed on fourth and goal. There was a botch snap um, for a PAT. I mean, like there was just some stuff where you just go, dang, you know, they, they were really close. But this was a tough road game against a tough defense and an offense that is more improved than we've seen from TCU. It's not great. So like you're mentioning, Rob, if I'm a Cal fan, I'm going to be a little bit worried about going into Pac-12 you know, play when there are going to be teams that are going to be able to score on them. And I think the pressure is going to be more on Musgrave and Garbers. I don't know, Rob. I think, I think going into conference play here, we're going to have a couple of, I mean, I, th- I think Cal probably is the second best team, like you mentioned in the North, but it has a lot of flaws. Um, 
I think this team's going to go bowling just based on the first two games that we have. I, I think they're going to be able to put it together. These are two tough losses for the Bears, but I do think that there's going to be an opportunity for them to, you know, right the ship because they've clearly done it a little bit more on offense. And I think there's some momentum there. Do you think there's anybody that's going to knock them off in the, uh, off, off of like that second place pedestal <laughs> in the North? I mean, I think there's, I, I think it's still a somewhat of a heat with Washington, right? Like it, I still feel like despite Washington's massive offensive struggles, it still feels a little early to write the Huskies off or what con- I mean, we haven't even started conference play yet. I mean, they haven't lost any conference games. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, although the Husky, the Huskies have had a little bit of a Cal problem here and there too. Um, you know, I, I think, I think Cal can, can get it going. And, Really, I mean, uh, you know, you you feel like Stan. I mean, Stanford could certainly be a shootout, <laughs> you know, as opposed to uh, a bit of a struggle. Like that could be a shootout between two offenses. I mean, we'll see. I mean, this is this is a real like I I just found this to be a really fascinating game because like we we've talked about like we we need to really see more of this Cal offense. Um, and we certainly did. I mean, in this game, and it was a much, much improved performance from what we saw the week before. I, I really want to see him keep it up now, but I mean, kudos to Cal for going out and putting this game together. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a real jumble with maybe you'd put like, you know, in whatever order you feel like Cal Washington, and then I'd put Stanford right behind them and then Oregon state and Washington state. I like how you're talking about Stanford like that makes me excited. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Moving around I don't know what to make okay. of them. I mean, still, right? Like the defense is probably pretty bad, but they certainly looked a lot better offensively with McKee, right? I mean, we'll get into that. Oh, yeah, we'll absolutely do that. So let's talk about some more moral victories and some just straight up awesome victories. And let's do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. And Rob, let's get to Stanford, USC. Uh, now that we mentioned it, so Stanford 42, USC 28, the game wasn't this close. Stanford was in control of this game for the majority. I mean, almost the entire game, actually. Um, nine USC penalties for 100 yards. There was a pick six. There was a kicker targeting call, Rob. Kicker targeting. That's something that, out. that wasn't on the bingo card. At least mine, it certainly wasn't. And uh, I mean, we should talk about Clay Helton. Obviously, he's been fired. There's been a ton of stuff spoken about this already let's talk about the game and then we'll talk about the ramifications after that you know you had just mentioned before the break that tanner mckee looks a lot better he certainly did uh i just think that bringing jack west out there and deciding that he was going to be the starting quarterback was a major mistake and miscalculation from uh shaw i thought mckee was super fun to watch like he's got some footwork he's able to move around in the pocket a little bit um yeah you know 234 yards 10 yards a pass he had two touchdowns but um look this this Stanford offense, you know, it's not not every day you get the privilege of going against uh, USC's defense. Am I right? Am I right? But like, I do think that right. I do think that this was. Um, I'm I'm more. I I had the over right Stanford four and a half uh, season win total, 
and I feel better about that now after this game because clearly this offense has more of an identity uh, when they're able to throw the ball through the air. Yeah, I mean, I like they. I mean, a lot of their rushing yards came on one run. Yeah, I mean, that eighty-seven yard run from Pete. Um, so I'm not ready to anoint the Stanford running game is back, but McKee certainly real. I mean, and Stanford was just hyper efficient in this game. I mean, basically get the ball score points. Um, you know, and, and it was all, I mean, and it was all touchdowns. Stanford didn't kick a single field goal. Um, but to be sitting there and have, you know, you know, McKee hitting, you know, 10, you know, 10 yards, a uh, 10 yards an attempt. Uh, I mean, he, it was a really big difference with him in the game. I think that that is going to make a really big difference for the Stanford offense going forward. I'm still not convinced that they can run the ball effectively. Um, and I'm not convinced that they can necessarily, you know, stop anybody. But I mean, if they were, I mean, if they could match anything like the kind of like wild efficiency they had in this game, but they're going to be tough to hang with because what are you looking at? Like, I mean, they're scoring touchdowns on over half their drive, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's hard to keep up with. <laughs> so I just, I mean, I, at a, you know, USC was able to run the ball, you know, somewhat, but I think one of the main things to take away here is I thought Stanford secondary had a pretty decent day because Slovis only had 5.3 per attempt. I mean, just, they really kept him, you know, limited. That's the wild part, right? Right. Uh, Drake London, four receptions for 68 yards. They were able to bottom, bottom him up. He had a touchdown, but, um, you know, when you took a look at what he did against San Jose State, I mean, he's clearly the best offensive player on the field. And to be able to scheme around that and just kind of keep him boxed in, I thought was impressive. Yeah, you're absolutely right when it comes to the rushing game for Stanford, right? So Nathaniel Pete had the 87-yard burst. The rest of the team was 29 for 60 <laughs> the entire game. So clearly that's a flag for Stanford. I just thought that they're run blocking was going to be better this year. They've had issues with this a number of years and that seems to continue. So something to keep in mind uh, about, but you're right. the fact that the secondary was able to keep Slovis uh, from, you know, winning this game basically. And I, I think, I think Graham Her- you know, obviously they fired uh, Clay Helton. I think, I think uh, Graham Harrell's offense has kind of been, um, it had its its spike, and I think the rest of the teams have caught up to how to figure figure out that offense. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's gone. There's a couple uh, podcasts that I was listening to that talked about like, would would he stay on board? Like, I think you got to get rid of him, and I think the offense needs an overhaul because I think it's just been really predictable. I mean, the fact that Stanford was able to keep USC in check uh, enough so where they dominated this game basically from start to finish is a really bad sign on your play calling. And I'm curious what happens when they go to Wazoo. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, you know, Harold, we've talked about, you know, like they, he does some strange things. I mean, they were able to run the ball a bit better in this game. Mm -hmm. Um, But the real lack of being able to string together enough plays to put together, you know, enough drives, you know, points and the lack of really, you know, enough big plays in this game, I think is a real indictment, right. Of, of, of Harold, like, you know, in the past, one of the main problems has been his, <clears throat> and it's weird because he, he does run an, he, he runs an air raid scheme, throwing the football around. Um, but he calls too many run plays, you know, and he doesn't have, and he doesn't have a terribly sophisticated run scheme or good offensive line coaching. Um, and he would continue to call <laughs> all those run plays, you know, they, they mostly worked in this game, but they didn't, 
you know, and they haven't in the past. I just, I don't see that there's any reason other than Dante Williams to, to keep anyone on this staff um, from USC. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I have to go back and, and look at exactly who they have, but I think it's, it's time for a change and they're going to get one. The one item that I'd mentioned about the rushing though, Rob is 185 yards rushing. I think that might be more of an indictment of Stanford's rush defense than, mm-hmm. you know, uh, than oh, USC yeah, taking a step forward. Uh, it's nice yeah. to see those numbers. Keontae Ingram, 44 yards, uh, Vavi Malapai, I almost had a hundred there, but, um, let, let, let's, Let's flag that for Stanford moving forward. We kind of already assumed that, but I think this might yeah. be another, like, you know, another marble in the jar <laughs> on how bad that run defense is. But, okay, so so Helton's gone. Let's spend a little bit of time on this. Um, you know, there's a bunch of names that are popping up around the search, but there's one name that you and I were kind of kicking around uh, that that checks a lot of the boxes that you had brought up, uh, Rob. Who, who is that name? It's Bill O'Brien. Um, and I think what's going to be interesting with O'Brien here is he's, I mean, he's got a tremendous amount of experience. Of course, he's going to check the, you know, time in the NFL box. He's coached under Bill Belichick. He's been a head coach in the NFL. He's been a head coach in college. He's now, as you call it, like he's going through the the Nick Saban rehabilitation school for boys. Um, and he's going to come out of it, you know, likely with another, you know, banger of an Alabama offense to work off of. Um, and I think like, Unlike a lot of other coaches that I think people are going to throw around on the list and it's kind of will they or won't they, right? Like O'Brien would definitely take the job. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, it is a clear upgrade over being the offensive coordinator at Alabama, um, you know, and it's it's part of why undoubtedly O'Brien was willing to go to Alabama, right, is that, you know, so many guys have gone through, you know, Nick Saban's <clears throat> sort of uh, rehabilitation school and come out, come out and land his head coaching jobs almost always in, I mean, always in college, right? Like O'Brien, I think is, is, is probably, you know, took that job aiming either to, I mean, you could argue maybe you wanted to go back and be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. You would have thought though, that one of those jobs might've been available to him. Um, you know, similar to like the way, uh, What's the other guy? What's the current offensive coordinator of the Patriots? Josh McDaniels. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, he was, after he flamed out as the head coach of the Broncos, you know, he got to go back to the Patriots. I mean, I think O'Brien's a, I mean, I think he's, a, he's, he's the one that makes the most sense to me. I mean, you could maybe talk like I, I have a hard time seeing PGA flex staying in the conversation over this entire season. I think that game against Ohio state is a very fresh in people's minds right now. I have a really hard time seeing him sticking through what is likely going to be like, you know, a couple losses this season. Um, you know, like, you know, USC is not going to run out and hire Minnesota's coach with four losses. Yeah. Um, that doesn't seem likely. Um, James Franklin, you can talk yourself into, he would certainly jump at the job, but I don't think I don't, there's in particular there, you know, what always sticks out to me about that case at Vanderbilt was he told the team that he had seen the video because they, the players that committed the sexual assault took a video and then he had to walk that back to prosecutors and say, Oh no, I, that was a lie. I hadn't seen the video. It's just such a weird, any way you slice it, because <laughs> yeah. he lied to somebody, you know, like, uh, it's just a weird lie for a grown up 
adult <laughs> to make. So um, that one is is troubling. There's some hazing allegations from him at Penn State too, um, as well as you know, like his, re- his his actual record on the field is not all that different than Harbaugh's at Michigan. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I think those are. I mean, the other the other names after you get past that, I don't find super compelling, right? Like I, there's nobody out there that I think you look at. I mean, you kicked around Dan Mullen, maybe wanting out of Florida. Um, I could see that, you know, like if, if he's really dissatisfied with the way things are going in the swamp. But I think um, he's dissatisfied all of the time. So that might be the problem with him. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you're not happy with your job at friggin' Florida, um, there's just been some grumbling about his attitude and yeah. stuff. But I do think for like, you know, if you are trying to take in the whole package, sometimes, you know, everybody comes with problems and that might be one of them. But I thought that, yeah, I, d- I thought that one was interesting. One of the things, Rob, on my end, where is, you know, people have thrown around Matt Campbell and the Cincinnati coach. and Oh, yeah. Fickle's the uh, – sorry, I should say Luke Fickle's the other big obvious one, right? Yeah, I I get that. I just – they need to be so careful about bringing on somebody that hasn't coached big boy football before because it's it's yeah. different. Right. Like now you're not recruiting the three and a half stars and like you're you're not a try hard team like you are expected to get the four and five star players. And if you don't, that is a problem at USC and getting more elite talent comes with more expectations from the players, from the players, parents, from booster. I mean, like it is just a different world. So I'd like I'd like to I, I hope that USC brings on somebody that is already used to that world. Um, rather than having to transition through that, or or am I just am I painting with too think, big of a brush? No, no. I mean, I think Fickle's done the. I mean, Fickle's recruited at that level. He was at Ohio State for a long time. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, but the question with Fickle is that I that you have to have. I mean, it's who comes. I mean, with O'Brien, Brian, o, you know, O'Brien's going to go out and basically hire the best staff that he can put together. You know, with the money, right? Yeah. Is Fickle bringing a lot of the guys from Cincinnati with him, right? Mm. Um, and that's where you start to like. I would not want Mike Denbrock, Cincinnati's offensive coordinator, to come, right? Like I would want a new offense. Um, is Fickle going to want to run that offense, the Denbrock, which is okay. It's not great. It's not going to. It's not going it, to. It's not even going to catch Oregon. Um, you know, in the Pac-12, and that's my real question with Fickle is like, you know. I think defensively he's fine. I just, I'm not sure that in, in this era of college football offense that he's demonstrated that he can make that higher. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I str- I do struggle a little bit with, with Fick. I mean, I, I think he's sort of the obvious one that a lot of folks want because his, you know, his time, he was hired by Mike Bond, the, uh, USC AD, um, and Matt Campbell, I mean, Matt Campbell would be interesting, but Matt Campbell really would. I mean, he would be the one that you would want to see. He's done it at the, I mean, he's done it at the power five level. He's definitely gone out and built a team that can compete with the likes of Oklahoma. Um, that said, like, you're right. Like Matt Campbell throwing him into the LA recruiting market, you know, is he going to be able to knock it out? And then who comes with him too, right? Like, does he have guys that you think can get you there? What do you think? I mean, I, and I, like a lot of people have thrown this name out. I don't necessarily put a lot of credence behind it, um, but USC's got some money, and it's a very, very attractive job. And that is Cristobal. 
you know, his name's been thrown around. I have a hard time seeing because I think he's just cleaning up. Like I just, I don't think he would leave if it were not for like my, I mean, cause he's like a Miami alum and a Miami native. Um, like unless Miami came knocking, maybe like there's some emotional tie, but I have a hard time seeing him leaving Oregon when he's doing so well there. But maybe he also knows that, you know, maybe he thinks like, all right, like I've had Clay Helton basically like mucking around at USC and I've been <laughs> able to basically exploit that. If they, if USC hires somebody really competent, my job gets a lot harder. Yeah. Now that fence um, gets around Southern California. Yeah. So like, why not go be that person and then make, you know, whoever's at Oregon's life miserable. Yeah. I, I poo pooed that in the beginning and then I thought more about it and I still think that he stays at Oregon, but I am more open to that. I think there is a percentage. I don't know what the percentage is, but there is a world where he says yes. Um, for the exact reasons that, that you mentioned, I don't think Miami's a big enough job for him. I know he's from there and stuff, but yeah, I mean, that's think of how many, you know, there's like a wasteland of coaches that got fired from trying to build that program back up. Whereas USC is the premier program on the West coast. You know, yeah. Direct. I mean, like think of how well Helton has recruited to USC given the performance that they've had. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It just, you're going to get good players there. So I, I think that is a possibility. I think that's more of a possibility than like Peterson or Stoops or, um, you know, I know oh, Meyer, yeah. Meyer is a disaster and he's probably going to get fired this year, but like USC pulled the trigger now. I don't know if, you know, I just, I, I, and Meyer's such a weird guy. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think any of those things are, are likely, but. it's so, Meyer's one of those ones, like it is, I have a hard time seeing him landing back in college because I think his long track record of questionable character decisions. He has <laughs> a leadership. He taught leadership at Ohio State University. Right? How dare you? How dare you? No, no, <laughs> no. But I mean, I like he's got. I mean, he's got such a long. Like I think for the pros, it, you can get away with it. I don't. I think. I, I because in the pros, it's really a business, right? Like I just have a hard time seeing a lot of academic institutions choosing to get in bed with urban Meyer again, unless they desperately desperately I mean, like maybe Nebraska, if they desperately wanted to get back to relevancy. Yeah. Well, one more name to throw at you here that I've seen a couple times is Eric B the offensive coordinator at Kansas oh, yeah. city. So here's, here's the thing that worries me is that he hasn't gotten a look from, or at least been hired um, in the NFL after having right. that track record, I don't know. Like I, I have no idea. Right. Like I, I, I just don't know, but it, it strikes me for whatever reason that puts up a spidey sense in the back of my mind on um, whether or not he has it. And maybe, I mean, like I, if I, if I'm Colorado, I absolutely hire him. If I'm ASU, I think that'd be a great hire for them. If I'm USC, I need to be damn well sure that this guy is going to be, um, has, yeah. has everything that he needs already prepared and ready to go. And I just, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think it's an interesting name, but if USC takes a chance on somebody who, I mean, like Andy Reid is, is kind of like the offensive guy. Right. And, and you have Patrick Mahomes. Is that how big of an yeah. impact does the enemy have? On, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. If it's a lot, then, then it makes that way more of an option. But I was surprised that there weren't more people knocking on his door or pulled the trigger to hire him away than we saw um, in the last couple of years. 
No, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, so I don't think you can fully wash your hands and walk away from the race issue there. Right. I mean, like black, we see it in college. We see it in the pros, you know, black assistant coaches just do not often get the opportunities that white coaches do. And I think that, I don't think you can just throw that out the window and say, no, that's not the case. But also I do think for him that there is a real question, even though Andy Reid has explicitly said, I think for the last two or three years that the enemy is calling plays that he was just a figurehead offensive coordinator and Reid was the real, you know, schemer. And that's tough. I mean, you know, the enemy, you know, I, I think to really maybe land a head coaching job almost needs to separate himself from Reed, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, like he needed to, he needed to go out and take an offensive coordinator job on his own, um, you know, away from Reed and really, you know, and he may be at the point in his career where he's like, forget it. I've, I've been there. I've done that. Like you can give me my head coaching job. I don't need to be a, an NFL offensive coordinator somewhere else. I've won a Super Bowl doing it here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I just, he's a, He's a really interesting I, I so I think that the reason that people throw that people have sort of poo-pooed his name is overrated. And the reason I say that is because you remember when Bill O'Brien got hired at Penn State, the Patriots made a deep playoff run. Um, and O'Brien was sort of like doing both jobs full and double duty. It just depends on like can can be enemy fill out a staff while he's still working both jobs and you know, can he make calls, you know, late at night, you know, to 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 you know keep the recruiting rolling, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm just, I'm not can like, if you think the enemy's your guy, you don't care if he's making a playoff run or not. Right. Like whatever, like we got to get the right guy to, to, to turn the program around. Um, and you'll be, you know, you'll be more than happy to take it, but he's got to come in, um, you know, with a really good list of who he's going to want to, to bring in and who he can get. Um, and that's where, I mean, the enemy hasn't been in college in a long time. I mean, he was on that, Colorado staff that got fired <laughs> after two years, right? Yeah. Um, uh, what was the, I'm forgetting the head coach is John Embry, his staff. Um, it's been a long time since the enemy's been in college. I'm not saying he couldn't put together a good staff, but, you know, like, uh, you know, does the enemy know some guys that he could get that are really good recruiters like tomorrow, right? That's a good question, or right? That's a valid question. Yeah. And I like, even as I said, like I kind of squirm, right. Cause you say, um, you know, black assistant coach, I don't know if they're actually calling the shots like behind the, the know, white head coach, but like, but I would have like in that specific scenario, didn't matter what that coach is. I would ask that same question because Andy Reid is such a, like a giant, yeah. he's a giant man in general, but he's also been a giant in terms of his impact on offense in football period. And you have Patrick McCombs. So you kind of go like, is yeah. it, you know, what, what is this? So anyway, I, and well, Reed was calling plays before, right? It's not that like, I mean, BNME for the first part, there was the figurehead offensive coordinator with Reed calling plays. Yeah. So we'll see, you know, we'll hopefully, um, you know, who knows? Ho- hopefully USC makes a, a good decision at coach there. We have a ton more games. We Rob. Let's do one more before a break here. Well, let, let's go do, we talk, we just talked about Colorado and, you know, let's, let's talk about their moral victory here over Texas A&M. Uh, <laughs> the Aggies 10, Colorado 7. Now, I mean, the big the big news here was that Haynes King, the quarterback for Texas A&M, um, pulled up with a leg injury. I think he has like a, a, spr- a 
like not a full break or but anyway it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because he's not in our conference but like didn't play the game um they end up he's bringing, out for like two months i think yeah with a broken foot which is kind of a bummer for texas a and because i don't know if they're gonna win a lot of games with their quarterback which we saw here um now at the end of the day i think he hit like three or four third down conversions the the backup quarterback to win this game but I think the story here really is twofold. The first is the fact that Colorado was able to hold Texas A&M's run offense um, and just and just kind of keep that okay. All right, ninety-seven yards rushing, like that's legit. That is that is a good front seven that was able to take care of business um, on the ground against Texas A&M. I thought that was awesome. The second thing was um, just the fact that A&M was able to stay close enough i mean it kind of sucks right i think they threw that court that touchdown in the fur they scored that touchdown um early in the game so a little bit worrisome that they weren't able to score more but texas a&m's defense is pretty darn good i mean this is like what like right. a top top 10 defense like at minimum yeah i mean it, I, I think at worst this defense probably finishes the year in the top 15 so yeah that's i mean and, and the second portion here was the fact that um you know there's a missed field goal Colorado got stuffed on the fort. Like they could have won this game and that's pretty encouraging. And yeah. I loved the, I watched the majority of this game. I loved the, the fans, right? So this is in Denver. It's not actually at Boulder stadium. And then there was that one play where A&M's quarterback reaches across the goal line, fumbles the ball and, um, or it's ruled a touchdown, right? And the A&M fans are going crazy and they're just going nuts and it's super fun. And then they reverse the call and you see the same exact like jubilant joy <laughs> from Colorado fans. I just really liked the vibe of this game, even though, you know, 17 points were scored total. I know. What did you think about the performance? And what do you think about, what do you think this says about Colorado? I mean, I think there's some, as you said, I think there's some real positives. Um, you know, the, I, I think that they did a good job, um, continually, as you said, containing A&M's run game. Now A&M's backup quarterback was hideous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 38 attempts, only averaging 4.8 per attempt. Um, that's pretty rough. I mean, Lewis sort of managed to outdo him only averaging 3.6 on his attempts. <laughs> um, but Lewis also added 76 on the ground. I mean, Colorado did, I mean, to be fair, like they're not going to face a lot of, you know, uh, defensive lines and front sevens like A&M's, but they didn't run the ball particularly well. Like Lewis uh, tacking on all his yards, which, you know, uh, really helped out their rushing average. Um, But Broussard and Fontenot, like they had to really fight for their yards in this game. Um. And again, like I, I think Colorado is going to be able to run the ball more effectively against a lot of teams within the Pac-12 than they were against A&M. Um, but man, like the the Colorado and and again, like A&M's got a good secondary, all that. Um, I mean, the Colorado passing offense was moribund. Um, but I mean, I think you you come out of this feeling like Colorado's got a really solid front seven, um, and they did enough even with the backup to really you know slow down A&M's passing attack and keep, you know really uh, really hurt them. So. This Colorado defense, you know, and I like the defensive coordinator switch they made. Um, I, I I think that they have uh, some real upside as we come into the Pac-12. And Colorado, um, I don't know that I, I mean, I'm certainly not going to put them up there with, you know, maybe say like, a, I mean, the South like feels really wide open. I mean, I guess we would say ASU <laughs> and you see, I mean, UCLA, right? I'm not going to put them up there with those two teams yet, but I mean, Colorado could certainly show up and knock off USC 
um, you know, uh, I think without breaking much of a sweat. And I mean, I think that they could, I think they could take on Utah too. the Utah that we saw this weekend. I mean, yeah, I, I just don't think they're going to be able to score points. I mean, I know this. Yeah. I, know I mean, I defense. think if you can, yeah. if you can make Lewis have to win the game, Colorado's in trouble. Yeah. And hopefully Jarek Broussard comes back. I have to check on his health. So he, he went out in the third quarter, didn't come back into the game. That'd be a big blow. I like the running backs behind him, but he clearly is the, the top horse there. And um, so I'm hoping that he's going to be able to continue playing and, and staying healthy. All right, Rob, we have a couple more games to get to, and let's do it right after this. All right, we're back. Let's get to it. Let's rip this Band-Aid off. The biggest Band-Aid. And there's like three of them. But the giant the giant gaping one over the front of our knee, Rob. Michigan, 31. Oof. Washington, 10. We watched this game together, and I have not had – now, I was not – um. I was not wallowing in the misery of Washington fans. That's not what I was doing. I just appreciated this game for what it was. I have not had more fun watching a, a stupid football game than the Cheez-It Bowl like four years ago. <laughs> like This game started with a bang and ended with a bang. And that bang was a, like, so right, so Washington gets the ball. Their first play of the game is a delay game for five yards. And then like three runs up the middle and a bad pass by, uh, by Dylan Morris. And I was just like, oh no, <laughs> this is going to yeah. be the same crap. And it was, I mean, it's just, it was, it was almost like Washington, um, try to be a parody of itself, right? Like if, if I were to play, if I were to play a video game with these two teams, with these, with all these players and I was like, Oh, I'm John Donovan. Look at me. Like I would have literally called these plays <laughs> over and over and over and over again. I mean, Washington can't run the ball. They can't. And that's all that they want to do. This is, this is a disaster. Um, I'm, I think Donovan has one more chance to show that he can change things up but I just don't think it's in his DNA and the fact that Washington had to watch this offensive performance was really brutal because if you look at the box score Rob you know Dylan Morris 293 yards the majority that was in garbage time Um, they just kept trying to rush that football over and over and over and between that and Morris just not having it on the road like th- this offense just could not move. Meanwhile, Michigan's like, dur, 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 dur. like we're going to run the ball again. LOL. <laughs> That's how they won this game. Yeah. No, I mean, there's some real, I mean, there's some huge problems for Washington uh, here. I mean, uh, we have to start with the offensive line and I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say this because um, we joke about this, like Phil Steele just kind of mailing it in, but like Phil Steele's preseason offensive line ratings are garbage. Yeah. And all he does is look at the returning players and he asked in no way asked the question if they're any good. And we will talk about this again on this podcast with another team in the pack 12, <laughs> but the, the Washington Huskies like Kirkland got mauled. I mean, he got mauled. He does not look like a tackle. Um, and, and you know, probably needs to move inside to guard, um, you know, Washington's offensive line coaching, which has been questionable for a couple of years. I mean, we used to talk about miles Gaskin and his yards after contact being, you know, one of the most important parts of Washington's offense. I mean, Richard Newton's a banger. I mean, he's a big dude who can take a lick and, you know, yeah, I think some Washington fans were kind of down on Newton. It's not Newton. Your offensive line is garbage right now. And they have to, that has to be fixed. 
Um, you know, if you're going to, if you have, if you want to have any semblance of running the football, I would really probably want to invest more in my offensive line coaching than Washington has. Um, and you're right about Morris. Like, yeah, I mean the, the yardage is fine and the per attempt isn't bad, but like his actual completion percentage is horrible. And that just kills drives again and again and again, too many incompletions. Um, you know, if you can't run the football, you got to be running a completion percentage that's up around like 65%, not hovering down your 50% um, for Morris. And then the other big problem, and this is, I mean, with on since on they some of this we saw a little bit last year without on Wizurike, but you know, Washington really runs like a two down lineman set and then you know gets pressure from the outside. Um, you know, Washington really tried to contain runs out at the edges, you know, seal off the edge. Um, they stayed in their too high safety look pretty much the whole game. Um, but they couldn't stop interior run. And Michigan mauled them running the football. I mean, it was just a steady diet of interior run, A and B gap. And Washington was defenseless against it. That's a really big problem. And another problem was that they didn't adjust. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they continue to stay in too high safety. Washington's got some really good secondary players, right? Like, I mean, Washington played, I think two years ago, almost 70% of their snaps in dime. I mean, they've got some really experienced, high quality future NFL guys in the secondary. Um, I don't know why Washington would not trust them more and bring some of those safeties down to help out in the run game. But it just, it was, it was again, like Washington's basically said like, Hey, we are going to stop you from putting up big plays. And Michigan said, fine, we will run the ball down your throat up and down the field and put together long drives. And that's just what they did. This is two games in a row, Rob, where Washington has shown that they can give up some yards. And one of those teams was Montana. And one of those teams was Michigan, which like, uh, we, we joked about this before, but it kind of makes me wonder if in a in an era where there's not a lot of practice, right? You have COVID, you have all these different like changes. If Jimmy Lake looked at his team that that has a bad offensive line and a bad defensive line and said, well, man, we're great at running the ball and we're great at stopping yeah. the run. <laughs> like, I wonder right. if he just totally misread his team in practice and just thinking that, my goodness, I have – everything right here right in the trenches this is where it starts and then when he actually started playing teams like you kind of realized that might not be the case uh, that there's actually uh, issues on both sides of those trenches this was just a total head i mean they just they just pounded uh washington and i don't like I mean, they didn't even make michigan throw right like the strength of this team is your secondary and you have some very good edge rushers and michigan through 15 passes for 44 yards, basically not even caring. It's, it's bad. I mean, like Lake's going to get an, a chance to clean this up, but my goodness, I mean, this is, it, it was the big house. It was a night game. Uh, and, and you talked about Dylan Morris's accuracy being off. I would add an, and when you really need it, it's exceptionally off. I mean, they're, they're just throughout that game. I was like, he needed three and third and seven, third and eight. And just, he couldn't complete because of the pressure and, wh- and whatever it is. So it's just, the problem that I have though, is what's like, how do you turn it around? 
right? If if Donovan yeah. and Lake's DNA is run focused and you've been practicing this all year and and Donovan really doesn't have a great track record of good offenses. Right. How do you win more than seven games in the Pac-12? Well, I mean, and there, here's the thing, too. And, and I mean, we'll talk about this with the other Pac-12 team with that overrated offensive line. A good offensive coordinator with a good quarterback can overcome some you know, substandard offensive line play. <laughs> like, you know, the quarterback knows to get the ball out, makes the right read. You know, the 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 offensive, you know, play caller can can scheme around enough. But if you have a play caller that's not that great at their job and you have a quarterback that struggles to get the ball out and struggles to make his reads, like you're in a bad spot. It is hard like cause I Here's the thing. I don't think the offensive line play is going to get a lot better as the year goes on. Like, I just, I think the table's sort of set or there, right? Like Washington's had this offensive line coach in for a while. This is sort of the way it's going to be. Um, I just, I, I, I just, I'm not sure, you know, so you can change your playing collar, then change your quarterback. Right. Cause I don't think Donovan's got it. Like, it's just, it's hard to see this offense getting significantly better I, I mean, I will admit, like, I mean, like, I think, you know, Michigan's, de- you know, Michigan's going to end up being a top 15-ish, maybe top 20 team. Yeah. Um, You know, I, I don't think that this is some juggernaut of a defense that they just faced, though, and certainly Montana isn't. So, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say, like, because with this Washington offense right now, I mean, I don't think, I mean, there's, there's some bad defenses they're going to face in the Pac-12, I don't know that this Washington offense that we've seen in the last couple of games and this offensive line is going to hold up real well. No, it, it, they're they're in trouble, and I'm just I'm just uh, I'm here to watch because I really want Lake to succeed, and I, yeah. I'm just hoping that he chalks this up as all right. I tried I tried this, it didn't work. Now I need to move right. on to do this, and we'll see what adjustments he makes from a coaching standpoint. I think they might happen next week. Um, but we'll see. I just, the problem is you hire, you, you, uh, like O'Donovan and I mean, I, you're just not in a position. It's like move. It's not, not as similar, but it's like moving from the air raid to like another type of offense, right? Like you just kind of right. like, it takes some adjustment and time. And that's what makes me really worried about Washington. The other thing is if they're going to be able to give up running, like rushing yards, you know, if, if the full defense was awesome, um, I would be more bullish about their opportunity to play second in the Pac-12 North. But if you can rush on this team and they yeah. can't score, like we're talking third, you know, like the, the South might beat up on them a little bit and the, the, I'm sure they'll drop one or two games in the North. Like this could get real. You do not want to play UCLA with <laughs> no, this. No. I mean, UCLA would run for all the yards <laughs> against this Washington team, but that's the real try. I mean, like you still have some, you know, some parts of this team that are just excellent, right? Like I think the edge rushers, I think that their secondary are are really excellent players. I just, I don't think their inside linebackers are. I don't think that they, they're they're two guys they've got on, you know, the designated defensive linemen are, and that the gap between it is is glaring, right? So like. Michigan just said, forget it. Um, we're not going to do anything but run the ball at you. But, you know, like, I don't think if you're Washington and Jimmy Lake, I don't think you can sit there and just get punched in the mouth repeatedly. Like, um, 
like Michigan did, right? Like they're going to get Cal, you know, like I would think Cal's going to be able to run the football on them. Right. And, and I don't think you're going to be able to sit back in too high safety um, all game and just give up a and B gap run. Like you're going to have to make an adjustment at some point, And that is going to make your pass defense a little more vulnerable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Cause we spent a little bit of time. I think, I think Washington fans need a break here. <laughs> so Agreed. Let, let's go from one bad offensive line to another here, Rob. Let's talk about Utah. Am I right? Am I right? Utah. Oh. I was disappointed. This, so I, I, um, I did okay with pac 12 bets. Cause I uh, took the, I took Michigan. I took the unders. Um, I took, I took uh, Ohio State. I'm sorry. No, I, t- I took uh, Oregon. The two games that did kill me were Arizona and Utah. And Utah, I was super bummed about because th- this was a raucous stadium. I mean, I, they. It w- I think the injection of like the Big Twelve, some of that sweet, sweet action into the veins of uh, BYU, really got them even more up to this. Um, up oh, for yeah. this game, right? Like they're now they're in, they're they have wanted to be in a power conference for so long, and Utah fans have just been dangling, you know, like <laughs> dangling the right. flag right in front of them. And this game happened, and holy Moses, was this BYU team a completely different from the one I saw against Arizona, and yep. b so fired up to beat this team finally after nine years, and like. I know this game was 26 to 17, but by the third quarter, I kind of just felt like this game is, you know, even at eight, like went into halftime. It's like, okay, maybe Utah can make some adjustments and maybe they're going to be able to reset the offense. But by like the, the first quarter of the third quarter, um, I'm like, there's no way Utah's going to win this game. Like BYU defense just was able to suffocate this offense. Um, that doesn't yeah. want a third of the outside ever, ever, ever. I mean, like, I feel like we have to talk about, I mean, cause Utah's offensive line is a little Jekyll and Hyde, right? Like they were pretty good in the run game Yeah. and BYU, that stat that I threw out earlier where Ohio state is struggling to, in their run stuff, right? BYU is too. <laughs> BYU stinks. They're at like 120 or something like that in their run stuff, right? Um, but you flip it around and the problem that we called out about Utah's offensive line was pass protection. And they absolutely struggled. BYU has a very active defensive front. They confused Utah's offensive line. They embarrassed them, I think. Um, they put a lot of pressure on Charlie Brewer, who made bad decisions. Um, you know, I mean, I don't want to say, like, I mean, Utah was on the road. They turned the ball over twice, right? Like, Utah doesn't turn the ball over twice, you know, probably. And early, early in the game. Yeah. 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 Um, but I mean, I don't think you can take away from the fact that like, you know, BYU doesn't have some like gangbusters, amazing front seven Utah's offensive line. I mean, the problem with the Utah offense last season, we sort of wanted to chalk up to Bentley, right? This is pretty much the same offensive line. <laughs> I mean, Phil still looked at these guys and said, they're all coming back. They're going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked about that. They struggled in the past. I mean, Bentley's problem was that he didn't make reads fast enough for how much pressure the offensive line was allowing in. I mean, that was what Huntley's real skill was, right? Like he, he made his reads quickly, particularly once Ludwig got in there as the offensive coordinator. And then he, you know, he also could shuffle around, you know, and create enough time to get the ball out. But you're right. I mean, they did not, I mean, this is still a team that cannot, and Theo Howard has like a hundred catches in his PAC 12 career, right? Like, 
you know, and they're, I mean, it's not as if they have a bunch of guys that like haven't been able to do it before. I mean, at least with Howard, haven't been able to do it before. You just look at this team and it just feels like I just, I don't think that they can, whether it's the wide receiver coaching, um, you know, and I think if Ludwig could, he would get the ball out to the outside. I just don't think he believes he can. I mean, Brewer doesn't have the biggest arm in the world. Um, but a lot of his throws were short, just, Oh, I mean, and, and the, the, you know, I had some BYU fans that were trying to talk themselves into like dominating on both lines. And I was like, no, nah, I mean, Utah held them pretty much in check with a running back running game. The big thing that broke BYU's offense open was Hall running, right? Like that was the wild card. Oh yeah. I mean, you nailed this game, right? I, I took Utah, you took BYU. Um, you highlighted both, both lines of scrimmage. And you mentioned like, if there's one player on the, on the field on one team, that's going to break this open it would be Jaron Hall. And he certainly did. I mean, he had three touchdowns, 92 yards on the ground. Like when, he, when BYU needed him to get down that field, he did it in a hurry. And that, that was yeah. the biggest difference in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I just like, if you're a Utah fan, this is a bummer. You really hope that the offensive line can clean some of this up. Um, but man, I mean, what we saw from Brewer with, you know, an active, um, you know, I mean, that's not going to bode well against a very active, pretty competent defense in the Aztecs. Um, you know, that like that offensive line and, and Brewer's decision-making. I, I just want to say Samson Nakua, calm down a little bit, calm down, right? He got, he got one, one pass for like oh, yeah. 15 yards and a touchdown, which is like basically what he would have gotten at, at Utah minus the touchdown. So like, he was, that guy right. was fired the heck up. Um, no, I, I mean, like, good for him, obviously. Like, he, he was really excited, but it's like, okay, you know, he did get a touchdown, but it was about, about the same stat lines you get at Utah. But, um, you know, Puka Nakua, we saw Puka Nakua sighting four for 37. So, really, you know, this, I think the secondary is still pretty good um, for Utah. It's just, um, I don't know. I, like, the, this was I, I, such a weird, this was a weird game. Uh, I still believe in the defense. It's more the offense that I'm, downgrading now now that i've seen two games eh, one yeah. and a half games really i mean if you look at it too i mean like they're you know like you know brewer only completed 15 passes four of those completions went to bernard out of the backfield three of them went to keithy you know like sheesh i mean <laughs> at that point you're talking about almost the majority of the passes i mean you only threw 26 of them but um you know, almost the majority of the passes are, you know, dump downs to either dump downs or screens to the running back, you know, or you're just looking for the tight end over the middle of the field. Like that's just not going to cut it. Right. I mean, Britton Covey, you know, who's been basically playing in the pac 12, you know, since I was in college, um, you know, he only had one catch in this game, you know, they got, they just have to find a way to get more of this offense involved um, than they did. Then he finally throws the outside and that, wide receiver dropped the ball. I'm like, this was your yeah. chance, brother. Yeah, that was, that was the time. Um, all right, let's move on. We're, we're going a little bit long here tonight. Let's go to, um, let's, let's do ASU. Okay. ASU. Um, and you called this, you talked me off the ledge and I appreciate this, right? Cause the, the line was like 33 and a half. I'm like, ah, hey, you know, these sucks and they do suck, but, um, <laughs> they do. And just Herm just wants to keep it mellow yellow, man. Like, let's just, let's just not follow the rules, but we'll follow the rules when we're on the field. Uh, that's 
the, the type of culture we have here. Um, ASU held the UNLV to 19 yards in the second half. I mean, that's just freaking bonkers. Um, yeah. With that said, uh, Daniels had to scramble a little bit here to, to keep this, you know, look, ASU was going to win this game. Um, I know right. the first half was a little bit weird, but um, it took some, it took the legs of, of Jaden Daniels to be able to stretch this game out rather than his arm. And I still have some questions about, you know, like if they're going to open it up, they're going to have to do it against BYU. And they still yep. have not shown me that they have the ability to. Um, maybe they're trying to keep everything under wraps still here, Rob, but I am just, I want to see it. The running game's fine, right? 287 yards. Daniels had 122 of them, but it's it's right. the passing game. What are they going to be able to do? No, and Daniels running the ball potentially opens up another avenue to to free, you know, keep the you know their backs a little more clean, right? And maybe opens things up even for the passing game. But I mean, you know, we we have questions about Daniels' downfield accuracy those are fair still, right? Like, yeah, he had a pretty high completion percentage in this game, but his average on per throw was only six yards. I mean, he didn't do a lot of downfield. So I just, I'd like to see, you know, I'm with you. Like you'd like to see, you know, more out of Daniels to give you a lot of confidence that they, you know, maybe have that, you know, uh, you know, that in their pocket. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm interested to see like this is they're they're gonna chant they are definitely I think this offensive line is gonna be a really good challenge for BYU in this next next game. You know, I think that Arizona State certainly has a more competent offense than Utah coming into this. Um, but yeah, they, they didn't have to do a lot in this game. I just thought I thought it was interesting that Daniels ran so much against UNLV. I mean, I just I would not have expected them to 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 bust that out because if you look over his career, he hasn't run a lot. I think he kind of um, had to in this one. I mean, just like a little yeah. bit. To, to, I mean, like they won 37 to 10. And the defense, yeah. I mean, if there's one really good spot, it's the defense. Now, look, this UNLV offense sucks. And their coach sucks. Yeah. And um, and their coach offense at Oregon sucked. So I didn't anticipate. You made Justin Herbert look terrible. <laughs> and it turns out he was not. <laughs> um, with all that said. 67 yards passing, 88 yards rushing. Um, this this kind of reminds me a little bit of the UCLA um, enlightenment that I've had, right, against Hawaii, where good teams are able to do what they do really well against bad teams. And, I mean, this this ASU defense is really good. It's just can they get the ball? Almost like This is almost like Utah four years ago, right, before they had Ludwig. It's like, I know your yeah. defense is good. Can you throw the ball down the field? And I still don't right. know the question, uh, the answer to that question. No, and, and Zach Hill's gonna, you know, leave us in some suspense there, right? Like, I mean, I I think that um, I didn't come away from this with any real, you know, belief necessarily that this ASU offense is gonna like bust anything open. But you certainly got some faith in this defense, you know. And and we talked about this defense had a shot to be pretty good, uh, you know, coming into this year. So I think that there, I mean. This is going to, what I, what I think is going to be interesting here is like, what's the measuring stick for, you know, cause like Utah for the most part against BYU was able to shut down. I mean, I don't want to say shut down, but able to limit the running game for BYU pretty well. I mean, they're running back Alger didn't, I mean, he had a tough game. He really had a, he really had to earn his yards against Utah and, and Hall wasn't exceptional throwing the ball against Utah. It was just his running the ball, you know. It was just his running the ball that busted things open for BYU. Um, 
how does ASU stack up? Are they able to shut down BYU's running game, right? Are they able to to shut down BYU's, you know, passing game for the most part? Um, and then are they also able to contain Hall, you know, in, in the run? That's what I'm really interested to see because BYU, I mean, it sort of proved as like a, like a measuring stick for, we're getting, we're going to get to see them against a bunch of Pac-12 teams this year. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to see what uh, it kind of puts everything in perspective except for that Arizona game um which we should just shift which is over confusing. to confusing it's just confusing yeah. like yeah that game is just very confusing so l- let's get to that one here Arizona hosts San Diego State you have Jed Fish out there you know top, riling up the fraternity house um getting everybody to this game now the, to to their credit the students showed up to this game the rest of the town did not and yeah. in this game, though, by the time everybody got in, I mean, like the, the game was over, right? Like, I mean, this was just I, and I've been at games like this where you're excited, the energy is there and then the other team scores or you give up a turnover and then it's just it's just sad trombone the entire time, like all the way down. And that's what happened here. San Diego State 38, Arizona 14. Um, San Diego State won this game from the very first play um, all throughout yeah. to the end. Gunner Cruz looked awful. Um, the defense looked awful. That was the thing that really surprised me. I thought the yeah. Arizona's defense looked actually pretty good against BYU. And um, in like the first three plays of the game, it was like a touchdown for 78 yards. And like, that was one of many. <laughs> it's really, really awful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, there was the, I mean, there was the, the, the blocked punt touchdown. There was, I mean, there was touchdown, touchdown, blocked punt, touchdown, right? Like, San Diego state in no way had to open up their playbook, right? Like they basically barely threw the ball and just ran all over Arizona, um, in this game. And, and Arizona had no, it felt like no answers, just a ton of missed tackles. Um, it was, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I, I'm with you. I was surprised by that. Um, given that, I mean, I like in particular, I thought San Diego state, um, had, didn't just execute what, um, BYU did against Arizona and BYU really was able to get outside. Um, and, and Arizona was not able to set the edge against BYU. Um, San Diego state was able to get yards up the middle. They were able to get yards outside. Um, Arizona just absolutely got whipped in the front seven in this game. Um, and then man, I mean, Arizona really could not run the football against San Diego state at all. Um, and that was made just worse because Gunnar Cruz was, that was one of the worst quarterback performance. I mean, and we're talking about a league that where we had to watch Dylan Morris and Charlie Brewer play. I mean, Gunnar Cruz is the worst we saw. Oh, <laughs> That's saying something. It was By a long shot. It was awful. I mean, it just missed like, and that, that was one of the reasons I took Arizona was when he was playing against BYU, he missed some reads. And I thought, well, you know, if like maybe he gets a week of game film in and he's able to hit the, the tight end, you know, and up the middle and my goodness, just bad reads held onto the ball too long, bad decisions. And it is, it is a sad day for Arizona Rob where Will Plummer who's going to be the quarterback this this coming week is is the savior cuz I watched him last year and I was not impressed this could I be mean, a in real fairness, yeah. true freshman last year but yeah I mean it's Plummer came in and at least made decisions with the football uh <laughs> you know I mean that was I mean Cruz like you're 
Well, I mean, like that's the problem with, I mean, the cruise just holds the, I mean, how many, you know, double pumps did we see crews do, right? Like just holding the ball and holding the ball and holding the ball. And then the pressure comes in and it's mostly his fault, right? Like, I mean, he's holding the ball too long. The offensive line can't be expected to hold. We saw this against BYU, right? Like he had no ability to recognize blitz and then would hold the ball. Um, and it, he was just, I mean, he was awful, awful, awful in this game. He is, I mean, there is, there are, I mean, in the, if you listen to what fish and the offensive coordinator, Brendan Carroll said, it sounds like Cruz might even be third string at this point, And that Jordan McLeod is there is even going to get reps at backup. <laughs> I think fish has just washed his hands of it after seeing basically two game films worth of, um, you know, Cruz's inability to, to effectively read defenses. Um, and that's it, it, like, we, we, we're not seeing the all 22. Um, but I think the fact that he's already completely lost his job, um, is, is an indicator that when you do watch the all 22, it is not necessarily the wide receivers. The, uh, the only other thing to mention about this game was, uh, the Pac-12's greatest hype man, Yogi Roth, was on the call. Oh, yeah. And he was doing his best, Rob. He was doing Mr. his Mr. Optimism. Best. <laughs> he goes, now let me tell you about the player that makes this offense roll. And it's like Stanley Berryhill, who would not start on most, most Pac-12 teams. Yeah. And then Gunnar Cruz immediately throws the ball out of bounds like after holding it for like six seconds and then running away from a sack. And I'm like, yeah, this, yeah. this offense is humming, Yogi. It, it was, it, I, I found it endearing. Um, so like, he, he, They should put Yogi in these games like they should use Bill Walton where it's like only blowouts and, and two awkward teams playing each other. I never want Yogi Roth or Bill Walton on like Arizona versus Oregon and basketball or, you know, Washington, Oregon and football. Like they should not touch those games with a 10 foot pole. But uh, I, anyway, I I thought it was fascinating that he was on the call. I think it might, have you seen him uh, do play by play? That might, might've been his first game. Yogi Roth. No, he's done some play by play. Um, them before oh okay okay i was wondering like i wonder if there's been more budget cuts there. but i do know that he he gets um he really gets a lot of games in early in the preseason when they have a lot of games on the pac-12 network oh i got it okay all right well you know, gotta stretch that budget a little bit here all right two more let's do you know what Let, let's give the cougs a little bit of love here washington state 44 portland state 24 and, you know, this was a game we thought, mm, I don't know, maybe Portland State knocks this team off. Who knows what's going on behind the curtains there uh, in Pullman. But Jade Delora is now appears to be the quarterback. Uh, and, and I think that's the right decision. Three oh, yeah. three yards, three touchdowns, 10 yards uh, per pass. You know, he had another touchdown on the ground. And the player I couldn't remember last week, Rob, was Travell Harris. I'm so excited that guy's back in my life. Eight catches for 80 yards and two touchdowns. Um, it's just a super fun player that reminds me of a lot of those wide receivers that uh, we saw when Hawaii was running the run and shoot when Rolovich was there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that this was a really good, you know, get it going game for the Cougs offensively. Delora looked a lot as, you know, he looked better when he came in last week. He looks a lot more decisive in there than um garantano did and, uh, i think this, he's, he's taking the keys back and he's going um i thought what was interesting though is that borgie didn't get more carries in this game um and they didn't really try to get him going more um you know they certainly were able to throw the ball around here but i mean i i guess my other big takeaway though is like it's not as if portland state didn't put up some yards and some points <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a bit of a concern, right? Like if you're a Washington, I mean, we, we've talked about this is a multi-year rebuild on the defense, but um, that's, I mean, it's, it's pretty rough, you know, after getting, you know, going out and losing to Utah state, um, you know, to at least you've, you know, turned it around where you figured out your offense a little bit, but man, that defense still looks like it's a bit away. Yeah. 300, uh, more than 300 yards, I'm sorry, more than 400 yards given up to Portland state. The one thing to keep in mind was that they were missing, I think their two best corners, so there's this player named Bo Kelly, and I, I asked our friend Ryan, uh, who's who's my buddy here in, in Vancouver that listens to this show. I'm like, y'all, like, because I, I this was one game that I didn't watch, and I said, did you guys, um, did you, uh, are you missing some players? Because <laughs> this Bo Kelly had 10 receptions for 152 yards <laughs> and, and a touchdown. Yeah. Um, so there were a couple injured players uh, that didn't didn't suit up, but even with that, yeah, 400 yards to Portland State, maybe not the best. Uh, not the best performance from the defense. So we'll have to keep a look at that um, as they play USC. I think uh, like uh, so we're going to do our, our preview podcast uh, tomorrow. And uh, the only bet I've made so far is that USC minus eight and a half in, in the Palouse. Uh, you fire your coach. The team's going to just blow the doors off of Washington state. I think we'll see um, last game here, Rob, Oregon state 45, Hawaii 27, I think between you and I, we watched all the games except the Washington State game, um, and I watched about yeah. a half of this one. You, you were you were a machine. You were up you were up till seven in the morning watching uh, Oregon State close out against Hawaii. <laughs> so, you had to you had to experience Pac twelve on East Coast time. Which <laughs> uh, is horrible. Oh, it was it was, br- it was brutal. It's, uh, it brings back terrible memories. Um, the story here, Chance Nolan, right? Yep. Um, actually had a pretty good game. So 21 to 29, 300 yards, 10 yards uh, per pass. He's thrown down the field a little bit, two touchdowns and actually looked better than I, um, I would have anticipated just given last year's performance from him. And then watching, um, who's the Sam Neuer, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, it, it seems like they have settled on Nolan and, uh, you might've actually settled into the job now is Hawaii's defense. So let's, you know, let's all calm down, right. but you know, like it better to better this than him being terrible against uh, Hawaii's defense. Right. I mean, I, I don't think that you have, I mean, if you're Oregon state, you know, Hawaii's got a bad defense. You go out and put up 45 points, your quarterback, you know, completes, you know, over 66% of his passes throws for 300 yards. Um, you know, two touchdowns and you top that off with also putting up two fifty six on the ground. That ain't bad. <laughs> you know, like you feel pretty good about that if you're Oregon, right? Like you ran the ball all, you know, against this Hawaii team really well too. Um, I you know, I think that's a pretty good feeling for them. You know, less less good as we, you know, as you know, they they were able to put together a lot more offensively. Uh, Hawaii was offensively against against the bees, right? And um, you know, Cordero. I don't think that this is a particularly good, you know, Hawaii offense. Um, and for them to kind of come in here and, and you know, again, it's it's a little bit of a red flag for this uh, this Oregon State team. Yeah, yeah, uh, 366 yards through the air with two touchdowns and with two picks, right? So you assume if yeah. he doesn't make those picks, that those numbers bump up a little bit. They did an right. okay job keeping the rush rushing yards down, you know, 88 total. So I think that was a positive uh, on the flip side. Holy Moses, 256 yards on the ground. BJ Baylor had himself a day, uh, three touchdowns. So, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Trey low getting the, you know, secondary carries there and didn't, didn't have that great of a, a showing, but 
I don't know if I trust those numbers because it wasn't like Purdue's rush defense was like a juggernaut and they really shut down BJ Baylor. So I I think this might, you know, let's get one more game under our belts. I I think that it might be that this rush defense is, is going to be, uh, or this rushing offense is not nearly as strong as it is when Jamar Jefferson isn't behind that offensive line. No, I'm fascinated to see because right, they're going to get Idaho and then they get USC, but then they get Washington, right? And like, ooh, that's can they run the ball in Washington? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the answer will probably be yes, but we we shall see <laughs> what's going on there. Um, all right, Rob. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. So we 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 previewed all these teams before. So if we were a little lethargic this time, don't worry, we'll, we'll get a, a pep in our step when we preview all these games that are coming up this coming week. Uh, Rob, you have anything to plug in the meantime? Uh, tune in for the Saturday six on Saturday morning, or if you're on Pacific coast time, yeah, just catch it after I record it and put it, throw it up on YouTube, but it'll be up before the game start. And uh, yeah. And then I'm, I'm actually messing around with maybe, We'll see what the run looks like. I might be all in season data after week four. It's just <laughs> right, a weird right twenty twenty eight is so weird. Um, no, I mean, and, and we've talked. We were talking about this a little bit, right? Like it's it's just so hard to build. It's it's hard to to see what's happening now. When I mean, last year was just so freaking weird, particularly yeah. in the Pac twelve, where it's like you got four game sample sizes, you have players out, and. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see curious to see what the numbers what the numbers say. I mean, like week six is going to be beta rank day anyway, where you, where you normally throw out most of that uh, preseason data. So um, if it's not week four after week four, it'll definitely be week five. But the way I'm set up right now, if you have three games against FBS competition after this weekend, you will have seventy seven percent in season data. Oof. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody else, if you only have two games, it'll be like 37%. But I'm, I mean, we're almost through all of non-conference. Um, so I just, I, it's like, all right, I mean, it, it, I, f- I feel like the NC, there's good, we're, we're going to pass the threshold and I got to pick when it is, you know, without sort of knowing exactly when the in-season data is going to start predicting better than the wonky 2020 data. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody, we'll stay tuned for that. And we will catch everybody soon when we get our preview show out shortly.